Good evening, Sports Zodians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Agliolaro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. Recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. We got a good show for you tonight. We should be joined by Eric Tressler in a matter of moments. We might not have Dave Hastings tonight. Got some things to do. Might have an Eric Pfeiffer, Larry Schmelrose appearance. We do have a lot to talk about tonight, though. We got some basketball playoffs to talk about. Uh, if we bring Fife in, I'm sure we will be talking some NHL playoffs. Um, I relatively, I'm not going to pretend that I've watched any of the playoff series thus far, but uh, you would have to uh, kind of be living in a hole somewhere not to have at least heard about the uh, Rangers uh, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins series. Uh, definitely some exciting stuff there. I know, uh, I believe game one, the Rangers lost in triple overtime to the Penguins. Uh, score four to three, then the Rangers tied it up. Penguins have now won the last two games, and game five takes place tomorrow night in New York at the Garden. So we will see what happens there. Uh, but like we said last week. Nobody else here, just me by myself. So guess what we're starting with? That's correct. Yes. So it's funny that for the first time in their history, you look across the standings in Major League Baseball and you see the first two teams to reach 20 games, first team in each league to reach 20 games was the New York Mets and the New York Yankees. So right now, things are going pretty, pretty good for both teams. When last we were speaking about the uh, Mets last week, we were in the middle of the Braves, uh, excuse me, the Mets beating the Braves, uh, both ends of the doubleheader. And as we continued the week, they lost the Wednesday game to the Braves, which they didn't lose a series, but it was the first time they didn't win a series all season so there was that and i think we're going to save the baseball talk for a little bit here uh we're going to bring them on <laughs> we're definitely going to talk about that uh come from behind victory on thursday i got to tell you that but he's here first one in the room so we will start with him eric pfeiffer how you doing i'm good mike how are you pretty good pretty good so I know you got some things to do tonight, so we'll start with some playoff hockey here. I think the easiest thing to start with, probably the one that's at least generated the most buzz. In well, actually, I'll tell you what. I know the NHL draft lottery just happened a few moments ago. You had texted some of the results. Montreal Canadiens get the first pick in the draft. Jersey Devils second overall pick. Yes, sir. Um, the Devils got two. What they do is they take top 16 teams. So the Devils had an 8.5% chance that they opened up the one. Montreal had the highest. They finished the worst with 18.5. Montreal ended up with the, the number one. The Devils two. And I believe the Coyotes were three. Um, 
and maybe the Kraken at four, I can't quite remember right now, even though I just watched it about 10 minutes ago. Uh, well, I'll see if I can find it, because I know when you had texted it, the results were not on ESPN just yet. So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, for I some reason. Live, so. Yeah, I, I, ESPN's kind of sleeping behind the wheel here. I don't see the draft lottery results. So, so oh, okay. Oh, no, no, here we go. Here we go. Oh, no. That's hysterical. No, the only thing I'm seeing right now is a video of the Canadians receiving the first pick. Not seeing anything yeah. else. So. Yeah, there's probably something somewhere, you know. Uh, it's, it's not the biggest news in hockey right now, so I can understand why it might take a back burner. Mm. You know, we got playoffs going on and everything. Uh, I'm happy with the number two. You know, I'm not too uh, – this isn't the time of year in hockey where I'm really looking at prospects yet, so I'm not even sure yet where they're going to go with it, if they're going to hang on to it or trade it. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to hang on to it and hopefully add somebody to that unit. They have a good young core right now. Hopefully they add somebody to that unit that can plug right in. Um, hmm. I would hope that there's a good defenseman available. Uh, you know, you just had P.K. Subban. He's going to be gone. Uh, as far as I know, he's broadcasting on ESPN. I don't know what his future plans are, but I'm pretty sure the Devils are part ways with him for good. Uh, and that blue line could use some help sort of down in the bottom four guy. You know, I think their top two are set. Dougie and Ty Smith. Uh, I like Graves, the guy they got. So I'm hoping there's a good blue liner available. But I also would rather see them take the best possible player. Uh, that's always the way I've looked at drafts. I'd rather see them take the best possible player than than reach for a guy just to fill a need. And I feel like that with any draft. Yeah. No. Well, let me and ask you something. Oh. No, go ahead. Quick late thought. That, that team can always use goal scorers. True. Uh, but if you True. get a, a big presence on that blue line, that'll help out tremendously. Yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you. I know the last few years, there's always been – there has been like a consensus number one pick. I think the I, – I can't remember his name right now, but there was the guy for the Rangers last year when they got the first pick. There was um, – and correct me if I'm wrong here, the year the uh, Devils and Rangers drafted one and two, I think it was Jack Hughes and Capo Caco. Is there anybody right. like that, a headliner for this year's draft class? I'm not totally, you know, I hate to say I'm not 100% sure just yet. Um, mm. I haven't really looked that down. It's not, so for me, like, you know, college football is very televised. You can always watch college football. And if you're a fan of football, you can coming out, but um, you know, you're going off the OHL and all those things. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Well, let's... I'm sorry, Fife. Uh, I want to welcome in right now. He's here. Eric Tressler is here tonight. Eric, how you doing? Hanging in there, Mike. Hanging in there. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so we're talking a little NFL, uh, NFL, NHL draft lottery with Fife here. Uh, Fife, if you got anything else you want to throw in, go ahead. Otherwise, we'll start going to the playoffs. Uh, no, it's about number two, and I'm, I'm excited to start looking at the prospects and see what we might add. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, so we'll go to playoff hockey here. Um, I don't know what series has caught your eye. Um, not going to pretend that I've had the chance to catch a lot 
of playoff hockey thus far, but I think it bears probably starting off with just because it's the one that that's most relevant to the area here. The Penguins Rangers series heading into tomorrow night's game five at the garden Rangers down three to one started off with that heartbreaking loss in triple overtime. They look like they got it back. Now they've dropped the last two games in Pittsburgh to the Penguins. Honestly, I felt like the Rangers should have won game one. I feel like they were the better team game one. Uh, they ended up winning game two. They dropped both in Pittsburgh. Well, what's happening there is just you have a lot of gritty veterans on that Pittsburgh team that have played playoff hockey before, um, and they're, they're just stepping it up. They're doing the, the small things. You know, they're winning face-offs clean, and that's the key. Uh, I think the, the Penguins are, like, in the 75 percentile, which is almost unheard of as far as, uh, face-off wins, and that's how they're generating a lot of their offense, and their 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 veterans are just doing the small things um, to put them over the top. And you can blame nothing on Igor Shosturkin; it is not his fault. Uh, he's being left hanging hanging out to dry. There was even a play last night where he made a, a stop on a cross, on a pass that was coming across the crease, basically playing defense for himself. Um, they're just they're not playing well for him at all, as far as the blue liners go. Um, and then up front, they're not giving any support goal-wise. They're not scoring goals. And it's the funny thing, I mean, as a Ranger fan, you should be happy because your kid line with, uh, that consists of Lafreniere, the guy that they drafted that you were talking about, and Capo Caco, those guys are actually playing really well. Um, what's happened in Pittsburgh is the Zibanejad line is just not matching up well with the Crosby line. And the Crosby line is sort of taking it to them. And what happens with the NHL is the home team gets the last change. So you're able to match your lines a little bit better uh, when you're the home team. So when you know you have, your line is being dominant over another one, when the Penguins see that Zibanejad line go out, they throw the Crosby line out. And Crosby's playing 22 minutes a game, so it's not like as a Rangers coach, even at home, that you can keep that line off the ice because then you're keeping your best line off the ice. They're only playing 14 minutes a game. So they're gonna. That line either needs to be jumbled up. I think a lot. The head coach, the Rangers, took way too long to jumble his lines around, uh, and it co- sort of cost them. I think they need to find a combination first that can play against the line and build out from there. The kid line's playing well, but you may have to break them up uh, and try and generate offense through a couple of different areas. Um, so I just think that those veterans from Pittsburgh are doing what what they need to do. All right. Eric, have you been able to watch any of the series thus far? Yeah, yeah. I've watched most of the games. I mean, listen, they're uh, they're not playing their best hockey right now. It's evident. But I, I think this is a team that they're, they're very young. And um, I think this is a year of some growing pains, unfortunately. Some year where these guys need to get this kind of experience. Um, I will point out the only thing I did here earlier today was uh, the last time the Rangers came back from a 3-1 deficit. It was in 2014 against the Penguins. Um, so they have done it before, not impossible to do. I don't see them doing it. Um, I think this Pittsburgh team is just too good, too gritty um, to lose three in a row. But <clears throat> you never know. Um, they're just, yeah, they're not, they're not playing their best hockey right now. I think they need to get a little tougher. They need to, you know, like, like – uh, I've pointed out, do do the little things, you know, better. Do do the small things well, 
And, you know, um, they're not doing those things right now. So, uh, tough one for the Rangers, but this is a growing team. And this is a team I look at where Fife's always forecasting for the future and what he sees, like, oh, this could be a team for next year. I see this as a team possibly for next year. They're so young that if they can grow from this and grow from this experience that I think that it's only going to help them in the next couple of years. So, um, I just don't think this is the year, unfortunately. Fair enough there. I know, Fife, you had tweeted out the stat, uh, uh, tweeted, you had texted us the stat in the group chat about teams that win game five win about 79% of the series in the NHL. Game five, like Eric, I know you can vouch for this too. Um, you said game five, I mentioned, I always think the uh, basketball in 1993, the Nixon Bulls series with Charles Smith and his goddamn layups. It's, it's a pivotal game in just about every series. I know when we talk about some of the other matchups, Every matchup in these playoffs, with the exception of one outside of this one, is tied 2-2. So game five is going to be pivotal around the entire league. What do you see the Rangers' chances of winning this game five in the Garden and making a series out of this? Well, I can see them winning game five and making it a series. I don't think they're going to fold up shop, but I just don't know if they have enough to win three in a row. Mm. What do you say, Five? I agree. I think uh, the Rangers have been a really good team at home. Um, I think they bounce back from a tough loss. I think they win game five. But I think ultimately, you know, I thought the series was going to go six. But I thought it was going to go the Rangers way in six. I did not realize how well these veterans were going to play for, them, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I always underestimate Sidney Crosby. He's playing real big. <laughs> not just like big in the moment, but he's playing like a big player. You know, He's just Grittier than I've ever seen him. So I think the Penguins taking it six. Um, but like Eric said, they are a good young team. I think the fact that the kid line has been probably their best offensive performers uh, is, is bodes well for the future, gives them this playoff experience they need. Again, Shesterkin's a young guy as well, and he's likely going to win the Vezina this year. Uh, so they have the pieces in place. It's just I think maybe their eyes got a little bigger. Uh, than their stomachs here. And, uh, you know, you come into a series against a team that you've dominated all season long, but, you know, the playoffs are a whole other ballgame. And uh, I think they will, Rangers win game five. Uh, they put some little excitement in. I don't see them getting blown out again. Uh, I don't see Shesterkin getting pulled from another game. I feel like their defense is going to tighten up. But I don't see them pushing at seven either. I think uh, that Pittsburgh showed that that home ice advantage they have is huge right now. Uh, just being able to match lines. So unless the lock can come up with a way to find a line to shut down Crosby's line and take it from there, there's no way this goes seven. Mm. All right. Fair enough there. Uh, we can keep moving on here. It looks like the only series that is wrapped up, the series that, Fife, I know you and Schmelrose, uh, well, definitely the team that you and Schmelrose were the most high on, Colorado Avalanche sweep the Nashville Predators in four games. Yeah, that was expected. Um, you know, even when uh, Darcy Kemper went down, which is the Colorado's goaltender on a freak play, anyone who thinks that that was on purpose, it definitely was not. Uh, it was just a freak accident where he caught a stick to the eye through his goalie mask. Um, in the NHL, they use bigger masks, uh, bigger openings around the eyes. They call them cat eyes. Um, 
and it just stick got caught up in there. You don't see it a lot. I've never seen it. And uh, it was a freak accident, but I still expected it, you know. Um, Nashville had, what, their second, third goalie playing. So that went pretty much as expected. I give them credit. They fought. They had a lead last night. They tried to fight back. Um, Colorado came back and beat them. Like I said earlier, Colorado has probably the best defenseman in the game right now in Kale McCarr. Might end up if he goes on this pace. I he may end up being the best defenseman we've ever seen in our lives as far as offensive skill sets go. And also as a defenseman, he leads the playoffs, I believe, in points right now with ten. So that went as expected. Uh, I didn't expect Nashville to put up much of a fight, especially after that game one where Colorado just dominated him. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so we could look at some of the other series here. Like I said, all the all other six series here are knotted up at two games apiece heading into game fives either tonight or tomorrow. You got Florida uh, against the Capitals, uh, Toronto uh, against the Lightning. I guess we could start with those two. Uh, what have you guys been seeing there so far? I think, um, well, let's start with Florida. I think that they're going to come back home. Uh, they're, you know, they were the comeback cats throughout the year. They had more comebacks, I think, this year than any other team. And that doesn't work very well in the playoffs. Now, they did come back down 2-1 to one and then end up winning in overtime in their last game to tie the series up. But I think they're starting to realize, like, they need to play a full game. They need to get out to a lead. I think they're going to do that. They're at home game five. I think Florida takes a 3-2 lead. Toronto is also at home game five. Uh, like I said about that series, it can go either way with uh, either squad putting up five, six goals a night. Uh, we haven't, I don't believe we've seen one yet. We haven't seen one yet where you got like a five, five battle. It's been dominance either way for a lot of the game. Toronto's still been playing really good hockey. I'm also going to go with them for game five. So I guess I'm taking the, the, uh, the weak way out and I'm going with both home teams to win game five. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say this again about the Maple Leafs because I'm looking at the scores of these games right now. You talk about um, domination either way. Give credit to the Maple Leafs, even in their two losses, they still managed three goals apiece. So I, I don't know. I don't know how that much that means, but me just looking at this, the the numbers here, that seems impressive. Yeah, they came. Uh, I know in their last game that they they had a couple goals late. Um, they gave up six. One was an empty netter. There's a new trend in the playoffs. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Uh, my brother disagrees with me, uh, and he's a longtime coach. But uh, when a team is down three, they've been pulling their goalie with about five left. I, You know, I don't think it should be as automatic as the teams have been playing it. Like, it's just been happening every time. I think you got to go off a of game flow, maybe judge what your power play has been doing. Um, so what happened was they were down uh, five to two, pulled their goalie with about five, five and a half left. Bad play was made on the blue line. Uh, Tampa went down, put in an empty netter, and then in five-on-five -five play, Toronto went back and made it six to three. But both those goals, or their, I think there's all three of their goals that game came in the third period. So they just need to, they, they need to come out and assert themselves like they did game one. The thing with Tampa is they're another team that's filled with grizzled veterans who know how to play the playoffs. Um, you don't see uh, them lose after a playoff loss very often. 
But if it keeps going back and forth like this, you kind of give the edge to Toronto because they seem to be winning the odd games. One, three, five, seven, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think I think it goes seven for sure. Um, I think Toronto takes game five. Tampa takes game six. And I haven't made my – I mean, I picked Toronto in the series, but I'm watching the series unfold now. And, I, you know, I don't really know who I have game seven. I'd have to really sit down and think about it. Because, um, you know, Vasilevsky is probably one of the better goalies in the world. He doesn't lose a game after losing a game. So that's going to be a tough series to pick. Um, but I think Florida, I think Washington has, has spent what they had. And I think Florida is going to win the next two. Okay. Fair enough. Eric, you got anything you want to throw in? Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest. I'm going the opposite way here. I'm going with, give me the grizzled vet Novechkin. I mean, and what he's been able to do and, and uh, the way he's been able to lead that Capitals team, kind of the way that Crosby's been able to, you know, lead Pittsburgh. Uh, I mean, you look at the two of the greatest players in the world, two of the greatest players we'll ever see, and two players still playing at a high level. So, um I actually like the Caps in that series, and I, I, I I've been the other way the whole time. I like Tampa over Toronto. I think I think the Maple Leafs are going to be the Maple Leafs, and I think that they're just going to do what they do. They're the, the the Dallas Cowboys of of hockey. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to stick with my pick of Tampa, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a close series, good series, but I think. Game five turns the tide. I think Tampa wins game five. And then, uh, yeah, from there, I think they go on to win the series. I don't know if it's in six or seven, but I just – I'm going with Tampa. I'm ignoring that comment. Not the whole thing. You know the comment I'm talking about. Anyway. Um, I think I would agree, though. Listen, there's a couple different ways you could have gone there on that. I get the point. Let's let's move on. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, we'll move to the Metropolitan Division, the only other series besides the uh, Rangers-Steelers that we haven't talked about there, Bruins and Carolina Hurricanes. This has been a uh, – the home team has won every game so far. Hurricanes dominated in Carolina, and then the Bruins got the last two back. Now we go game five to Carolina. What do you guys say? Well, I'm going to go, uh, you know, Boston's another team where that pasta line, pasta Marchand Bergeron is just, I mean, they came on these last two games. Uh, they're, they're the grizzled veterans we've been talking about, but I really like Carolina's brand of hockey. Now, they're playing with their backup goalie, uh, which makes it difficult, but he hasn't played terrible. Um, but I like their brand of hockey. I like the way Rod Brindamore coaches that team. So I think I'm going to go Carolina on that one. All right. Eric. Um, yeah, I guess. Give me Carolina. Mm. So are you guys just going Carolina for game five, or are you going for them for the series, out of curiosity? I think the series. I'm going to go for them in the series. Okay. Me as well. You know something? I'm going to be the contrarian here. I haven't picked any of the other ones, but I'm going to say to Bruins, give me the Grizzled Veterans. Maybe not game five specifically, but I could see a world where they win those last two games, six and seven. I so can't, we'll- I can't fully disagree with you there either, I, you know. 
hard to judge. That's why I love the hockey playoffs. You know, maybe all the games haven't been that close, but mm-hmm. each series is pretty close. You know. Yeah. And we got more close series here. We'll go to um, – this shows how little I know. Do they do East and West uh, conferences in hockey? Yeah. I know uh, they don't. Okay, so we'll go to the Western Conference. The Minnesota Wild, St. Louis Blues, knotted up at two. Blues win the first game. Wild win the next two. Blues won game four in St. Louis. We are now in Minnesota, taking place tonight at 930. What do you guys say? I say you know more about this game already than me, Mike, so I'm going to let Fife take this one away. (laughs) I'll be honest, I have to bow to any knowledge on the Western Divisions or uh, the Western Conference because I don't know much about what's going on out there other than I just keep watching Colorado because uh, we've been told about them for a long time now. So I've been following them, but outside of that, I don't know much about the West. Well, seeing as how I had to ask if they were still East and Western conferences, uh, Eric, we're just going to let five, we're just going to let Fife go on this one. Go ahead. So uh, Minnesota is that young team. They have a good veteran goaltender between the pipes, <clears throat> and you would kind of look at um, St. Louis as that veteran team. Uh, but one of their veterans hasn't really been getting going. That's Vladimir Tarasenko, and Minnesota, even in the losses, has generated uh, a ton more scoring chances and opportunities. They have one of the most exciting players in the league in Krill Kaprizov. Uh, Krill Dollar Bill Kaprizov. And um, I think I'm going to go Minnesota with that one. So I'm sticking with the trend of picking the home teams. Uh, I really think I think they win game five. I think they win the series. Um, it's just that, you know, St. Louis has their vets. They're playing well. Ryan O'Reilly's playing well. Dave Perron's playing well. But I just don't think enough guys are playing well to win a seven-game series. All right. Fair enough. And then we got the Pacific Division. The Calgary Flames and the Dallas Stars. And it's another bookend in terms of series wins where the Flames won the first game in game four. Stars took the middle two games. We're in uh, Carolina. We're in Calgary. Uh, Wednesday, 9.30, and then you got the uh, Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers, and another bookend series. Kings won games one and four. Oilers won the middle two games, and we are in Edmonton tonight at 10 o'clock. I'm going to start with the Kings-Edmonton. I'll make it quick because i got to get rolling back. i got to get to my game. But uh, Kings versus Edmonton. I'm going with Edmonton, Connor McDavid, <clears throat> Dreisaitl, Evander Kane was a monster addition to that team. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, he's been scoring at uh, a crazy rate. Uh, he, he's meshed really well with the greatest player in the world right now, Connor McDavid. Uh, so I'm going to go Edmonton, although the Kings are playing for Dusty Brown. Dusty Brown's been all around for a while. Uh, he's playing hard. He's said in the beginning of the year this is going to be his last season in the NHL. And uh, Jonathan Quick is doing nothing short of amazing things between the pipes as usual. But I just feel like um, their Edmonton's going to be too much for them to handle. And then the other series that you talked about, Dallas-Calgary, has probably been, as far as playoff matchups go, one of the more exciting series that we have this year. Um, this was the only underdog that I picked to win the series was Dallas. Um, what they're doing is they're forcing Calgary to play their game. Uh, Dallas has played just a really tight-knit playoff-style game. Um, they shut them down on defense. 
the first two games, I believe, were like one nothing and two nothing, or something close to that. Uh, so I think uh, I think I'm going Dallas there. They're going to be on the road for game five, but I think they find a way to take it. And they've just been frustrating the hell out of Calgary. And that's been a, a very physical, chippy series, the kind of series you like to see. Um, the refs have had to reel it in early. Uh, Kachuk's been going after Klingberg. And it, it's been wild. So, uh, But I think that plays more into the hands of Dallas. It takes Calgary off that great, skilled offensive game that they have. And it takes guys like Johnny Gaudreau. It makes the game harder on them. So I think I'm going to go with Dallas because they're forcing Calgary to play their style hockey. And unless Calgary can, can force Dallas to play a little more skill, um, I think Dallas is going to, going to frustrate them right out of the playoffs. Mm. All right. Fair enough there. Um, we won't keep you too much longer if you got to go. Eric, I, I know what we said at the beginning of this. Do you have anything you want to chime in now? No, I'm good. Okay. So I'd if I get his opinion on one more We'll do this real quick. I want to end with a specific question for Fife, but I know where you're going, so go right ahead. If you know where I'm going, I want to, I want to go to uh, what do you think of Brady getting a new contract from Fox? Oh, that was not it. <laughs> uh, I want to know about that because I've been getting $375 million promised to you in the future. But don't even worry about this. You just, whenever you want to retire, this is just sitting here waiting for you. Just a giant pile of swimming pool cash to swim in. Um, I, I, I just think it's unbelievable. And the fact that he's going to walk off the field and become like the highest paid broadcaster. And you have no idea if he's going to be any good at the job. Yeah, he can talk great in interviews, but is he going to really be that great? And I mean, to sign him for 10 years. Holy shit. I mean, I don't know. It was kind of big news came out today. Kind of weird news that came out because the guy's still playing. It was uh, weird. Yeah. So I just wanted to get his opinion quick. Go ahead. I think that that means that this season's the final nail in his career coffin. Not that it's a nail in a coffin by any means. Like, he's had a great career, and he's got a team right now that has a chance to make a run at it. But I think that – that solidifies that this is going to be his last season. If he comes out of retirement, he still has football to do now. So I think that makes a big difference. He's not just, you know, sitting at home with the wife and kid. Um, so I think uh, I feel bad for the guy who's the head analyst at Fox right now because he's got to be thinking, like, well, what about my job? You why? Know? But why? Buck and, uh, Buck and Aikman well, left Buck and Aikman went to, uh, they, they went to ESPN, so now it's uh, – what they're doing is they're putting Kevin Burkhart with Tom Brady, and that's going to be Fox's A team is Kevin Burkhart and Tom Brady. And I think the guy who he will be replaced because if I'm not mistaken, it's Greg Olson currently doing it with Book Book uh, uh, Burkhart. Who, by the way, Burkhart is awesome, and I think him and Brady are going to be fantastic together. Truthfully, you can call me a Mets homer; that's fine. Might, Burkhart's no, great. That, that, they yeah. might be, but I mean, I'm just saying that. I just think it's wild. Uh, you don't, you have no idea how this guy's going to do it. No, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. What I was going to say was, though, I think Greg Olson's going to come out of it just fine, though. He's got a lot of opportunities at his doorstep. I think he's going to be just fine. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I, think Ol- yeah. I think Olson's pretty good. You know, I, I like what he does, but I don't see it as a – as a crazy move. I mean, it is a crazy amount of money for 10 years, but it's Tom Brady. And 
I mean, he could be terrible at it, and you're still going to have people want to hear what he's got to say. I think. Is that true, uh, though? Because that's the like, thing. I mean, look, look football, at Troy Aikman. so great anyway. But, but nobody tuned in to listen to Troy Aikman. That's the thing. He's like, are people going to tune Are you actually going to get any more viewers? I don't think they're actually going to get any more viewers because everybody was already tuning in. They were already killing right. everything right. else in the ratings. So, I mean, right. they couldn't – like, I, I don't know. To me, it's just – I'm looking at it. I'm like, how the hell could – like, yeah, I get it. It's Tom Brady. Everybody wants a piece of Tom Brady. But I just don't think it brings any more viewers because people are going to watch football regardless. Well, it just shows you a, a big corporation got a lot of money to burn. Oh, and I, yeah. I think it's also the fact that, yeah, I, Eric, your point is right. It's not like they're not hurting for ratings. It's not anything like that. And I know everybody feels the way they do about Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. I'm not even, I'm not even going to try to defend any of that. I'm not doing that. But I'm saying when you lose guys who have been the staple of your broadcast for 15 years – you can go about it in a reserved. You can go about it in a reserved way, or you can go about it to try to make the big splash. And I think this is more about the big splash to replace those guys than anything. But having listened to Brady in certain things, like um, they got this great thirty for thirty on ESPN about the tuck rule with him and Charles Woodson. I think he can be kind of like what Tony Tony Romo has been in terms of an insight that people are intrigued to listen to. So I think putting him with Burkhart, I think it's a stupid contract. $37 million a year is ridiculous, but go ahead. Did you see that apparently uh, Tom Brady, I don't know whether it was Bieber or somebody got Tom Brady to do that thing where it's like two truths and a lie or whatever, or like something about like, or not that, it was uh, like tell your secrets or something like that. And with, with Brady whispered that it might have been a fumble. Talking about the yeah, I saw that. I, I, I saw. I, I didn't see the whole thing, but I had heard something about that. So that sounds like a Jimmy Fallon bit. If I had to describe what I think Tom Brady is going to be as a broadcaster, it's going to be a calm version of Tony Romo. A what type of version? A calm version. Of ah, Tony gotcha, Romo. gotcha. Gotcha. Tony gets going, man. He gets so excited. And I love it. You know, it's fun. But I feel like. Like, Brady's going to have the insight, but he's also going to be much calmer. Hmm. He's not going to get as excited about everything. I can see that. I can see that. All right. Uh, the one thing I want to ask you real quick uh, before we let you go, Fife, and this this is going back to hockey here because I'm, I'm generally cur- curious, and this, this question is regular season, postseason, whatever pops into your head. What's the biggest single-game comeback you've either ever seen or you know in the history of the NHL? Like, how many goals has a team come back from? You know, I probably couldn't tell you that off the top of my head. You know, there's been some big ones. Like, uh, Florida had a bunch of four-goal comebacks this year in the third period. Uh, Mm. Panthers, that's why they're the comeback cats because uh, I believe even the Devils were up four on them. And they came back, and they're like, oh, Devils fans are like, all right, we're beating, we're beating the hell out of Florida. And then the best team in the league, at least something looks promising. And then all of a sudden, that went off the rails. I'd mm. have to say the biggest one I've seen is probably a, a good four-goal comeback. Um, you know. Okay. Other than that, you know, my, my biggest memory of a comeback was a playoff series, which was the Devils-Flyers, Devils down 3-1. I believe it was the Eastern Conference Finals. 
Um, and the Devils came back and won that series and went on to win the Stanley Cup. That's as a fan, that's my favorite comeback of all time. No uh, doubt. Going down three one or three zero, were they down? I'd have to look at it. I think it was three one. I don't know, but I'll tell you what, that was fun because you know you're down and out, teams down, playing elimination games. All of a sudden, guys like Scott Stevens are knocking people out, and you're winning Stanley Cups. Um, so that's my Devils reference for the day. It was one bad one when they lost up four, and then the big comeback against the Flyers, especially because it was against the Flyers, a big time rival. Sure, sure. All right, man. I guess we will let you go on that note there. Fife, always good having you with us, man. You got any final thoughts? Uh, let's play hockey, baby. I'm sorry I got to miss the first couple games. I'm sure there's one going on right now. I don't even know the scores. I got to grab my hockey gear out of storage. And uh, we play in my Tuesday night league. We are undefeated. We play a pretty solid team. And we're missing our two best players. Um, so, I got a text from the best player on the team told, <laughs> told me to be a leader tonight, you know, play like I can. So I, I'm feeling the pressure, but uh, mm. hopefully I uh, can perform under the pressure tonight. I'm Keep sure you'll do. I'm sure you'll do fine, man. And just so you know, Carolina's up two zip over Boston, 705 left in the first quarter or wow. first period. First period. Wow. Yep. That's quick. Yeah. They play a physical brand of hockey. They're tough to come back on. There you uh, go. I think if they win that game five, they win it in six. They go out to Boston and win it. Okay. Fair enough. All right, All man. Right, boys, good, I gotta get good luck tonight, brother. Thank you for having me. Hey, sweaty. All right. Hell yeah. All right. So that was Eric Pfeiffer here tonight. Had to ask him that question. We don't have to go straight into what it references, of course. We can go into that in a little while. Oh, nice. That's beautiful. Sorry. Um, I will. It's funny you brought up the Brady thing because it was really only one other football note uh, I wanted to bring up. I will. I will say once again, three hundred seventy five million dollars over 10 years and the dude hasn't even retired yet. That's that's just that's just insane. But um, your Giants made a move over the last couple of days here. I guess it was inevitable. James Bradbury released. Um, salary cap casually. What did you think of that? Another shitty Gettleman move that we're still paying the price for. But Bradbury actually did decent for you guys, if I'm not mistaken, though. Yeah, but now we got to get rid of him because of the cap situation that Gettleman put us in. Mm. So we went out and signed a player that we can't even keep. That's true. But you got Kenny Galladay, though. Yeah, geez. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Get into it, yes. <laughs> cut him. Yeah. All right. I don't know if you had anything else NFL-wise. No. Not yeah, no. Nothing really stood out to me. So let's move to baseball real quick. It's just you and me tonight. So we'll talk some baseball real quick. Uh, I think congratulations are in order to both our teams thus far, who I'm sure we both still agree we're still just doing all right. But the first two teams in baseball to reach 20 wins, first time in history, first team in each league to reach 20 games is the New York Mets and the New York Yankees. Yeah. I still <laughs> worry about the Yankees. I still have the same worries, but they keep winning games, so they keep proving me wrong. That's what they need to keep doing. So... 
Well, what have you seen that you like? That then I'm gonna be all right. Yeah. Well, what have you seen that you liked so far? You talk about the stuff you're worried about, and we know the stuff you're worried about because we've talked about it before. But what do you think they're doing good? Um, their pitching has been unbelievable. That's the one thing that nobody really saw coming. Their starting pitcher has been really good. I mean, when you got Nestor Cortez going in into the eighth inning with a no hitter, when you have you know, Luis Severino bouncing back the way he has off injury. Garrett Cole is, hasn't been, you know, bad either. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think that overall the pitching staff is actually rounded out better than they thought. They knew they'd have a solid bullpen, but the starters have been better than advertised so far, and that's kind of what they needed out of this group. Now, will it continue? That's that's the question. If it continues, then they'll have continued success because I think right now. They're, like, leading, I think, the AL in uh, ERA. So, I mean, if they're leading the AL in ERA, I mean, they're, they're doing something right. And that, and that's that's what it takes to play winning baseball. Yeah, they're scoring some runs, but they're still too dependent on the home run, in my opinion. Uh, they are manufacturing runs better this year. They are hitting and running better. They're, they're doing little things better, which I think has led to more wins as well. But again, they need to continue to do those things. I think it's only a matter of time till they eventually, I think, at some point get rid of Joey Gallo or cut Joey Gallo because I think he's becoming a liability. And I think they have other options they could they could use there instead. Um, so see how it plays out. It's not a perfect team, but they're playing really good baseball right now. So I'm just hoping that that continues. They're in a stretch where they're playing 23 games in 22 days. Mm. Um, because of some rainouts and other stuff. So they're in a tough stretch of baseball right now. As long as they make it through this, you know, still pretty well, then I think they're gonna be they're gonna be set up for, for a successful season. So we'll see how they end May here after this this stretch of tough games. Yeah, you mentioned the starting pitching. I'll tell you, I'm just looking at the stat right now. You guys have allowed the second fewest runs in all of baseball. 75 runs allowed. You are second to only the Los Angeles Dodgers who have allowed only 65 runs. So good job there. So you got that. Um, Crazy to think about that they had. I mean, if you looked at it, the pitching staff was one of the biggest weaknesses you thought of this team starting pitching. Like, going into the season, the fact that they've been as good as they've been, it's been a surprise. Yeah. Well, I I think you guys always had the talent, at least with your first four. Cortez has obviously been the biggest surprise, but with guys like Severino and Tyone, health was really the biggest thing because you knew they could do it if they were healthy. Neither one of them has really been able to stay healthy the last few years. You agree? Yeah. I mean, again, health always plays a big factor, mm. you know, but that's, the, you know, that's why we got to see, can they stay healthy? Can this good pitching continue? Um, yeah, a lot of it depends on health. Mm -hmm. And Montgomery is probably having one of the best seasons of his career. I just saw his numbers real quick. He's always been a, a solid five starter, but his ERA is down like a full run than when you, where you usually expect it to be. So that helps. That helps. Um, and just looking at you guys' schedule, Chicago, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, the Angels. Oh, excuse me. I skipped it. I skipped a couple of shit. Well, you have a you have Toronto today and tomorrow. You have two series against the White Sox, two series against Baltimore. 
and then you kind of end the month at Tampa Bay, and then you have a series against the Angels to end May, start the month of June. So some easy games there, some tough games there. So, and that's, and I guess we can transition to the Mets because that's about how I feel with where yeah, go we go for it. Give us a little update here on your Mets. <laughs> Thursday. Thursday. So I took my mom to go see Dr. Strange 2 in the Multiverse of Madness. And we, we had dinner at Chili's. It was a nice night and everything. And I'm driving home. And it was like the first or second inning. And they were already down for nothing. And then I get home. And they're down 7-1. to one, And I'm not really watching the game. Almost fell asleep. I was talking to Cousin David for like an hour. And when I got off the phone, I go to... Um, I go to the internet and I see Twitter. Mets score seven runs in the ninth inning, erase a six-run deficit. And my jaw was on the fucking ground. And, of course, I put the text in the group chat. Just, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. Holy fuck. We're doing all right. I, I don't know if you've seen some of the statistics that went into that come from behind win. The Mets haven't had have a come not, from behind. I have not heard the statistics. So if you want to rattle them off, go for it, but I have not heard them. I, one of them I'm not going to remember completely, but the fact is the Mets haven't had a comeback that big in the ninth inning since 1997. And since 1997, they were 0 and 330 since that 1997 comeback in games where they trailed by that many runs in the ninth inning. And in that victory, they snapped a streak of 857 losses by that many runs entering the ninth inning in baseball, not just the Mets, throughout baseball in like the last eight years, I think. So it's, it's ridiculous that they were able to do that. And then the rainouts happened, and they split the doubleheader with the Phillies. I, I'm still not trying to get too excited. But you look at what has gone on this first month of the season. The big comeback, uh, the, the comeback against the Cardinals, sweeping the Giants in the doubleheader, the combined no-hitter, sweeping the Braves in the doubleheader last Tuesday, and now this six-run comeback. Dude, I, this team is different, man. This team, there's, there's something happening here. Whether or not it gets stomped out in two months, that still remains to be seen, and it definitely could happen. But right now, this team is different than what we've seen out of the Mets the last two or three years. There's something cooking here. What do you say? I agree. I think that the air about the team is different. Um, I, I think they're playing good baseball. I think it's going to be a fun summer in New York if both teams can keep playing well. It will be interesting. It will be very interesting, especially, like, in my opinion, there's still two things the Mets legitimately need if they're going to, go, if they're going to keep this going. They need another power bat, and they need to do something with the bullpen. They need to acquire at least one bullpen arm. But you got a good foundation here. Alonzo had the big two-home run game on Sunday. Lindor kind of scuffled a little bit after the hot start, but 
every one of these comebacks we've had, he's kind of been the catalyst to it. And you bring in guys in Marte and Escobar and Canna and Jankowski, none of these guys stop battling until the final out. And then you got Scherzer, a legitimate crazy person who I, I personally feel like he would attack people in the dugout if he saw them giving up early. And then you just see, you just see some visuals that I just really like seeing. Like, I don't know if you saw the video uh, highlights for the, the, the six-run comeback. I watched them like five times. And to see this happening and Alonzo and Lindor standing next to each other, jumping up and down like little kids while this is happening, the excitement that the players are showing, that's infectious, man. It's just it's great to see. I agree I, with you. I mean, yeah. listen, I think it's fun baseball. It's it's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have any cold water you'd like to throw on this, I'm fine staying humble. No, listen, these <laughs> are the kind of comebacks you want to see. This is the kind of fun baseball that gets you up, gets you involved, gets you excited, gets the blood pumping. Like, mm-hmm. this is, you know, what you want baseball to be in New York, you know, right now. Like, you know, this is this is exciting stuff, so... I can't rain on your parade right now because there's not really much to rain on. You know, mm-hmm. you're play, you know, team's playing well. I think they're what twenty and ten. Yes, yes. And the Yanks, I think, are twenty and eight. Yep. So I mean, literally a difference of just you know, the Mets played two more games than the Yankees. So, like I said, they're both playing good. Both and the key is they're both winning series. As long as you keep winning series, keep taking two or three. Keep keep taking two or three. Keep you know, take three. Or for when you can like yeah. you know that's it's gonna be good mm-hmm. good things are gonna happen so um i'd like to hate on boone and i'd like to hate on the mets but there's just really not much to hate on right now and i feel bad saying this part after you just brought up boone but can i tell you something i, I like i i should have seen it coming but buck showalter makes such a goddamn difference on this team after Mickey Calloway, a good manager always does, though. I'm saying after having Mickey Calloway and Louis Rojas the last four years to have an actual adult leading the charge, I never realized how much I would have missed that until I got stuck with those two guys the last four years. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. He's the perfect guy to be steering this ship right now. Can't think of anyone else I'd rather have. He could be, in my opinion. And I loved Bobby Valentine, and I loved Terry Collins. He could be the best manager the Mets have had since Davey Johnson. He probably the- is. I mean, listen, Bucks turned around quite a few teams. So uh, no reason to think that he can't do the same again. He, he's a very, very good baseball mind and uh, very good at what he does. So, I mean, you know, I, I think the Mets got a good manager there. Yeah. It, t- it took so long for him to get back in the game. And it's just like, now you're just looking at it and be like, what the fuck did we waste our time for with all those other guys? But better late than never, man. So I will, yeah. we'll, tra- yeah, we'll transition off this. having him now anyway, when he doesn't have to be under the will palms. Now you'd be under an owner that, that won't mind going out. And if he needs to make a change, make it or do it or whatever, you know, that's a so very you had to good make point. the tough decision where, to be honest, years ago, the Wilpons never would have cut Robinson Cano and just let that yeah. money die. Yeah. Never would have happened. They would have cut somebody else or made a different move or something else would have happened, but it would not have been that move. 
So, I mean, you look at it, you that there's the difference right there. It's, he was like, listen, this guy is not helping us win ball games. He is a terrible, even DH hitter. He is yep. not playing well. We need him gone. And Steve Cohen was like, okay, do what you got to do. Like that's mm-hmm. the difference. Where the Wopons would have been like, "Fuck you! We're not. We're not. We're not eating twenty-three million dollars or twenty-four million dollars. We're not doing it. Yeah, we're not doing it." Like Cohen's like, "Do it because it'll make the team better." That's the type of owner every team needs. Um, so listen, it just gives you hope as a Met fan that they're going to do the right thing instead of doing the money thing, and. Mm-hmm. That's that's the important part, and that's why that's where I see the difference in this Met team. Yeah, that's a that's a great point there. I completely forgot about that one. Yeah, it it everything happens for a reason, and timing is everything. And this is the way it happened. And I'll tell you this: Buck and Cohen get a lot of credit, and they deserve it. Billy Epler is a really good guy to be the GM. I was not sold on him because of his time with the Angels. He's been really fucking good so far. And, like, everything that happened with that whole front office drama, for it to work out that we get a guy like Epler who's experienced in a big city and has an owner who's who's willing to do what needs to be done and he can pull the trigger on the moves that need to, and he's a smart baseball guy coming from your Cashman tree, everything so far has worked out the way it was supposed to be. I want to keep going around baseball a little bit here because, you know, the Mets and Yankees both have 20 wins. How about the Angels finally putting some things together and getting 20 wins to start the season? Listen, they got a good team. It's not like they, you know, Otani can do it all. Trout's Mm. the best player in baseball and he's not hurt. Um, you know, that's the team has talent, you know, has some of the best talent in all of baseball. So, you know, they, they, if they can find a pitching staff and if they can, you know, get some more hitting to build around those other guys, I mean, that's all it really takes. And seems like they're starting to put that together finally. And, you know, I mean, if you're going to pay Trout all that money and you're going to pay Otani all that money, why waste it? Why not try to put a winner out there? So they're starting to do that. Um, see if it continues. But the other team, too, out west, you got to look at there is the Dodgers. On the mm. NL, I mean, they're playing great baseball as well, um, to be expected. They're pretty much a super team. I think most team, most people are probably picking to win the World Series. But disgusting lineup. Absolutely disgusting lineup. Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of the Dodgers world and we're all living in it. But, I mean, at the same time, the Mets and other teams and, you know, the, the Giants and uh, – I don't know. I'm trying to think of the other team. Are the Padres up there, too? I mean, it's a pretty tight division out there in the NL West, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I know the Dodgers are up, but, I mean, I think it's a pretty – there's a couple of pretty good teams out there. So, Well, yeah, and I'll tell you this. I, I just noticed this right now. The NL West is the only division in baseball where all five teams are currently over 500 right now. Even the Diamondbacks and Rockies are slightly over 500. Padres got the second best record in that division. And they don't even have they don't even have Tatis back yet. So yeah, I from the good, let's talk about the shit show that is the Cincinnati Reds for a minute there. Because you know, the lockout and everything happened. 
the, the idea of raising the luxury tax limit and doing things with the draft was designed to kind of prevent tanking. And then the minute the lockout ended, the Reds were one of two teams that basically sold away their entire team for spare parts. And I'm sure you've heard some of the drama with the owner basically challenging the fans. The fans show up to the ballparks wearing paper bags over their heads tell, uh, with the sign saying, sell the team. They are 6-23. and 23. They have one of the lowest teams in terms of runs scored. They've allowed almost 200 runs uh, over the course of the season. 6-23 and 23 record for the Reds. That is just pathetic. That's bad. I mean, it's bad when the fan base is turning on you, but to be honest, the fan base needs to do is not put paper rags on their heads. Need to do what the Oakland A's fans are doing and just not show up. Mm. I think the Oakland A's are averaging less than 7,000 fans a night. They're the lowest in all baseball. I think I heard that. Yeah, no. Like I know. They're, they're yeah. atrociously low. Like They can't draw anybody in. It's because the team sucks and they don't put any money into it and they don't want to. And every time they get a couple of decent guys like a Matt Olson or whatever else, they trade them away. They don't ever sign anybody. They don't ever build anything. And it's just the fan base is sick of it. So now the fan base, rather than wearing paper bags, you're going there and screaming and yelling. They're just not showing up anymore. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and the- that's the best way you can boycott or the best way you could show it is by not endorsing the product anymore, not giving it any more of your money. Yeah, and the one thing the A's had going that, for them for a while was they were a team, and they still are, a team that every three or four years when the, the young players get closer to salary arbitration or free agency, they trade everybody away, they get all these prospects, but they always were able to pull prospects who could slot into the major league lineup and you wouldn't really notice a difference and they'd still be competing for a playoff spot. They did that a lot in the early part of the 2010s. I think they did that like twice. The last five years, their track record for trading away the guys for prospects, it's not the same that it used to be. And you look at yeah, you look at this season start, 12 and 19. Now, not as bad as the Reds, and uh, it's one of the worst records in baseball, but like the Red Sox are 10 and 19. Royals and Tigers don't even have 10 wins yet. Nationals, 10 wins. Cubs, 10 wins. So not quite a bottom five team there. But the guys that they got in those trades that they made, they ain't exactly been panning out the way they wanted to. So, yeah, it's I, – I, to me, this is the problem with baseball. You know, it's great to have an owner like Steve Cohen who's willing to spend money. But then you look at these teams who you just know – you look at their payrolls, and it's just like, you're really telling me you can't put together a $7,500 million payroll on this team? You're really telling me you can't do that to at least pretend that you're trying to compete? Really? That's a problem. So, do you have anything else you'd like to throw in there? No, I think we hit on everything baseball-wise we need to for now. All right. Um, I know basketball. We're doing all right. Yes, it's well said. Good way to end that, my friend. Um, <clears throat> I know basketball playoffs isn't always your thing. Have you paid any attention to what's been going on in the playoffs? Uh, basketball playoffs? Yeah, I've been paying attention because, again, I've told you all along. I mean, 
I'm going to watch basketball. I try to watch the the better teams. I don't care about the shit teams. And to be honest with you, I don't think there are too many great teams left out there. So a lot of my time is spent focusing on the Golden State Warriors. Mm. Um, I think they're going to win it all. I'll get this team. They're really good. They're really solid. They're veteran-led. They've been there before. They want it. They're, they're playing good basketball, even when they don't have – I mean, I think last night they won. but They won shooting like tw- less than, I think, 25% from three. I think they shot like 24 points something from three last night. Like, they didn't even have to light it up from outside. They shot like shit and still won. Why? Because they're a good team. Mm. Play defense, and they know what it takes to win. So I uh, that they're who I've watched the most. I would say. Other than that, I mean, I've tried to watch some of the games in the East. Uh, Philly's been able to come back, be gritty, tie it up two-two. Um, I think Harden's played better, if I'm not mistaken, over the last two. Um, so I think that that's been a good sign for the Sixers. But uh, you know, and then you got what the other series is. Uh, the Bucks and uh, Boston, and I'll I'll tell you yeah, right yeah, now, two two in that series, right as well. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and I, I I mean, listen, but either one of those teams can win. Jason Tatum playing great. Um, Anthony Kumpo. I mean, I'm not, not taking away anything from any of those guys. Uh, Boston played great last series. I think if they could win this series, they got a good chance to win the East. I think whoever wins this series has a really good chance to win the East. I think has a good you kinda, chance to beat Edom. I'm sorry to interrupt. You kind of stole what I was about to say, though, because honestly, I think this is the series. Whoever wins this goes to the finals out of the East. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. That's, yeah. I mean, I, you could say I stole it from you, but I mean, I kind of said it first. Well, great minds think, think alike. They do. They do. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think this is your, your matchup here in the East. And I think out West – uh, I, I don't see anybody beating Golden State, do you? I mean, honestly. I think, you want me to be honest, if the Bucks, if Middleton was healthy, I'd say they'd probably give him a run. I think what makes the Warriors so dangerous is that they are a complete team and everybody's healthy, except, unfortunately, Gary Payton uh, Jr., I believe, is out for the rest of the playoffs. So that sucks because he was one of the young guys but really taking on a lot of minutes when their big three went down. And I, I talked uh, the last few weeks about the fact that all these young guys were kind of pressed into action that they weren't ready for with those three out. Now that the three are back, they can all kind of ease into supporting roles. Peyton was a big defensive presence for them. So him being out does hurt. They still got enough stuff that you can consider them the most complete team in the league. Boston is probably the closest to being that complete, in my opinion. You saw what Horford did last night. Marcus Smart's one of the best defense players in the league. I believe he won the Defensive Player of the Year award. And then you got Tatum and Brown, who have both really shown out this entire season. And I know they got some other guys on the team, too, that have done really well. They They are as close to a complete team as the Warriors, and I don't really think there's too many other teams that you could put in that case for most complete team in the league. No, I agree with you. I don't think there's many. Um, again, I think a fully healthy Suns team, you might mm. want to put in that category, but they're not healthy right now. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. I mean, was it Booker? Is Booker back yet? Or but he's out, right? I would have to check that one. But John Morant is going to miss just about the rest of the playoffs with a bone bruise. 
So they announced that earlier today. Morant's out. So there's that. Uh, Booker is back. He oh, played. He's out in that series. Go ahead. Booker's back. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I yeah. think that gives them a better chance. Yeah. I think you have to elevate that team because with a healthy Booker, Chris Paul, and I hate to, to say Aiden, but I mean he does make a difference as a guy who's a you know your third best player. Mm. Um. You know, they're a team I think you got to put in that category as well. I just don't think anybody's beating this Warriors team. Yeah, and I didn't even see this. Chris Paul only played 23 minutes in the last game, two for four shooting. He fouled out of the game. So that's crazy. Yeah. See, that happened. Then he got into it with a fan because the fan was, uh, like touched his mom or something. Oh, that was his family that happened to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I had heard it, but I didn't remember whose family it was. Hey, fans are fucking stupid. Fans are fucking stupid. I like you got that. You got the Dave Chappelle thing that happened a couple weeks ago. It's just sit in your fucking seat and enjoy the game and shut the fuck up. Anyway, um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if I could see Warrior Celtics being your um, your NBA Finals matchup. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to throw in here? No. All right. I think, uh, we can covered it pretty much for now. Yeah. Yeah. We can move on here. Um, I feel like you're the most likely to watch the Kentucky Derby. I feel like you're the one who brings it up every year. I did not watch the Kentucky Derby this year, but I'll give you a minute. How was the horse race? I got to be honest. This is the first time in a long time I missed the race myself. Um, <laughs> I had a memorial service on Saturday and then a family function. I was in between the two uh, and did not get a chance to see it. I heard about it. An 80 to one long shot. The longest shot ever to win the Kentucky Derby. Um, pretty unbelievable. Uh, horse, I think it was only bought for like 30,000. There were some horses in the field that were like bought for like over 1.2 million. Um, so, I mean, just to show you, uh, nobody thought much of this horse. And this horse found another gear and another like almost style. Because when you watch the replay, the gaps he hit like to weave his way through the traffic there at the end and in that final stretch to kind of, kind of like hit a nice, like grew. I mean, they were saying they've never seen the foot like with that kind of, or the horse with that kind of footwork before. Hmm. So it almost makes you think like you're kind of hoping he doesn't come back as juiced up or something else because they're, they're saying they've never, nobody's seen this horse run like this before. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, pretty unbelievable. Uh, great story. I'm sure anybody who did just throw down a couple bucks on a long shot or put them in a play hit big, but um, I'm sure those people are few and far between as this guy was an 80 to one shot. Yeah, Rich Strike, I believe, was the yep, worst. Rich hit, Strike. Rich yeah. Strike. All right. Um, yeah, I was, I was working on Saturday. I did not get a chance to see that, but obviously I heard about it uh, during night. So. Um, we could keep going though. I don't know if you had anything else. There was something that happened a couple weeks ago. I wanted to bring up to you cause I know you're a Jersey guy and everything. And I think you guys are pretty close to it. Um, Rutgers college basketball, women's coach, C Vivian Stringer. 
stepped down, announced to retirement. I believe she had coached the team for over uh, 20 years, I want to say. And I, I know none of us really follow women's college basketball, but because it's Rutgers, and I know you're kind of close to it there, I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts. No, she's a great college coach, but uh, outside of that, I don't have much thoughts. Um, just knew she was a, a great coach and probably the one of the best in women's college basketball while she was coaching. So um, she'll be missed by Rutgers, and she'll be hard to replace. So, uh, yeah. Mm. Sad to see her go, but great coach, and uh, Rutgers was lucky to have her. Yep, yep. All right, did you have anything else sports-wise you want to bring up tonight? No, I think you hit on everything pretty much. I don't uh, got anything else for you. All right, I I don't think we're going to bring them on unless you want to because it's getting a little late, and I had a couple other things I wanted to bring up here, but I have to bring up what cousin David said in the chat, he got here a little late tonight. Um, his prediction is the Yankees trade Aaron Judge at the deadline. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, I don't have any thoughts on that because we're waiting. still playing this kind of baseball, playing this kind of baseball, you know, at the deadline. And then no, they're not going to trade him. It all depends on where they are. You know, they're too far out. I'm too far out to make that kind of prediction. But, you know, Cousin David, if the Yankees are still in first place and looking like a team that with a, a chance to win a championship, I don't see them trading Judge. I see them holding on to him and trying to work something out at the end of the year. So uh, we'll see what happens. Plus, there's still way too much time between now and the deadline. He could get hurt between now and then. Anything could happen. So... Um, no, I don't think it's inevitable that he gets traded at the deadline. I mean, I don't not agree. Saying, I, not saying, I'm not saying it's an impossibility either because if the Yankees fall out of it or fall back to 500 and all of a sudden they're not sure and, you know, they want to trade them to get what they can, you know, because they'll get some kind of value out of them from a team that's going to be contending. Um, you know, then I think mm-hmm. that works, but, you know, again, so I'm not saying it's impossible and not going to happen. I'm just saying... Right now, it doesn't look like doesn't look likely. Nah, they, you, I think they'd have to fall off a tremendous clip, cliff, for that to happen. Because you're not trading them if you're in a playoff race, like you said. So we can keep going here. The couple things I want to bring up real quick. Uh, so winning time. It's funny. A, a couple weeks ago, you had brought up that you heard Robert uh, Evan Roberts and Craig Carton slamming the show. Uh, and I actually, on Saturday morning, I was driving into work and Beningo was guest starring on Evan's Saturday morning show. And they were talking about winning time. So I heard Evan Robbins, Roberts' uh, criticisms of winning time that you had brought up a couple weeks ago. And it's his criticisms really center around two things. The p- portrayal of Jerry West, which uh, I've, I've said this before, they really did make him a cartoon character. And if you're Jerry West, you have every reason in the world to want to sue this show. I, I totally agree with you on that, uh, with him on that one. And it's about the fact that they do a lot of fourth wall breaks where the character is talking directly to the camera. You either like that or you don't. And I'm a fan of Adam McKay movies. I love the movie The Big Short. So all his movies have characters breaking that fourth wall and talking to the camera. So I like it. 
other people may not. I will say this, Eric, I'm, I'm sure you still haven't caught up on the show, and that's cool and everything. Um, Cousin David is saying, great finale of winning time. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I really like this show. I thought the finale was a little disappointing. Execution was fine, just certain things that happened where they left some of the characters. I was not totally crazy about that finale. It was a little disappointing considering what had preceded it. Right. Went, well, I haven't yeah. seen it, so I don't have much of an opinion on it. Mm -hmm. I'll say the one thing that to echo your sentiments, though, of being disappointed in a finale of a show that people, you know, are enjoying and, that, you know, people who are watching think are good um, is Ozark. I've also seen some disappointing reviews coming out. No spoilers, but just I heard one of they were disappointed in the way the finale went for Ozark. I heard the same thing earlier today, actually. I've never watched the show. I've never seen one episode. Oh, I heard I've it was a great it, show. And it's a great yeah. show. It's a really, yeah. really good show, and that's why it's kind of disappointing to hear. But most of the time with great shows, the, the finales do fall flat. And it's partly because I think the hype of you never want the show to really end. Mm. So when it's over, you're just like, that's it? I don't get it anymore? Like, there's nothing else happening? Coming out to this, like that's it. That's the way they're gonna do it. That's the end. Hmm. That's the big, you know. It kind of leaves you with a sense of like, well, no, like I don't. Like, it shouldn't end like that or like this, you know. I feel that plays a lot into shows like this, so hmm. that's where I'm going with it. Of I just think that you know sometimes when shows are popular and people enjoy watching them, they just don't want to see them end. And so pretty much any finale they get is going to be a disappointing finale to them. I don't necessarily agree with it. I, I listen, I think we've all seen finales that left us feeling, wow, that was a fantastic finale. Like we've talked about a few of them in the past. I love the rescue me finale. Um, the shield finale, I, I thought was okay, but the final season of the shield was fucking amazing. There could have been three episodes in that final season that could have been finales all on their own. So I didn't mind that one kind of, they didn't really have no, to when you look at other shows. You look at game of Thrones eh. whole a season. Eh. Like you look at, you know, even the Sopranos, a lot of people, that's a controversial ending to the end of Sopranos just to cut to black like that. Not a fan. A lot of people don't, not, not a fan. Exactly. A lot of yeah. people don't like that, but yet love the series and think it's one of the best shows in uh, television history, mm -hmm. you know, but yet hate the finale. So, I well, I still think it's possible to love yeah. a show and yet not like the finale, but I also think not liking the finale is sometimes you love the show so much you just don't want to see it end. So no matter how they would have ended the Sopranos, like you know, if you know everything would have been fine after the diner, if you watch Tony get shot in the face, you know, they, they, I don't think it would have been satisfying enough for everybody. Like no matter what happened, I think that it wouldn't have been a satisfactory ending because everybody had their own thoughts and opinions about how and where the show should go. So I don't know. That's just the way I think about it. Well, again, I don't necessarily disagree with you. And I could spend like three hours talking about my disappointing, uh, my disappointment, not just in the finale, but the final season of the Sopranos. I do think there's a world where the game of Thrones, that whole eighth season is just straight trash. I mean, what a big pile of garbage that thing is. Well, listen, I'll, I'll say this. When The Sopranos cut to black, 
I was ready to light everything on fire. I was so pissed off. I was cutting rants all week on that fucking thing. Fast forward 14 years, 13, 14 years later and Game of Thrones, that finale. I was disappointed by the final season. Obviously, you know, I'm sure I still have the audio. Uh, of you somewhere in that final season. We should do a watch party of the series finale of Sopranos together. Uh, You know, I haven't watched that finale in about 15 years. It's been a while. That's why I can revisit it now, watch it through. No, you know what we should do? Invokes that same anger in you or to see if you're just like, I don't care. No, I I can tell you right now, it's not going to evoke the same anger in me just because I've kind of, I, I've kind of I don't want to say I've made, made my peace with it. I just kind of let it go a little bit because I'm older now, and I already you know when you have your first disappointment, nothing else nothing else tops that really. So that's how I looked at that in X Men Three, truthfully. But you want to talk about great finales, you know? Where you talk, I, I mentioned a couple of them. Uh, the most, uh, to me, the most satisfying finale of any drama of all time. Eric, can you guess? The Wire. The Wire. And there's a reason why I am segueing to The Wire, because I don't know if you've heard about this show. It's a mini series on HBO called We Own This City, which is Wireless? based on. Huh? It's called Wireless. Oh, you're funny. Now, it's called We Own This City. It is set in Baltimore, just like The Wire was. This is actually based on a true story. This is kind of the aftermath in Baltimore after the Freddie Gray shooting and the riots that went on there. Um, an entire uh, section uh, task force of the department was indicted for crooked and nefarious things here. It's created and made by David Simon, a former um crime writer a police writer for the baltimore sun newspaper who was the creator of the wire and what i love about it it's a, it's a great it, it's been very well done so far john bernthal is the main guy in it there are so many actors from the wire in this show like there's about 15 or 20 actors who i'm just looking i'm just like oh he's that guy yeah he's there too I'm popping just off of that, truthfully. But the show itself is pretty fucking good. So, And what I love about David Simon, when he does these things about Baltimore, he's got friends. He made all these connections within Baltimore Sun newspaper, uh, Baltimore Police Department, the teachers, basically every section, criminals from Baltimore during his time there. And these people were brought in, brought in as like technical advisors on the wire, And he basically brought a lot of that cast with him to tell this story. And what's interesting to me is one of the main things of The Wire was talking about um, kind of the downfall of the police department uh, in terms of the death of actual policing in favor of statistics and the numbers game. And one of my favorite quotes from the show, shining up shit and calling it gold so that majors become colonels and mayors become governors. This series is kind of a real-life story of what happens when that numbers game continues to run wild 
through generations of the department. And I'm not going to go on a long thing here. There's a lot of problems within the police department. I think we've kind of seen that. Racism winds up being the main one that's in there, but it's also a systemic move from actual policing and trying to work with communities in favor of statistics and quick results rather than actually trying to educate your cops on what is necessary to be effective and work within the community, if that makes any sense. Makes sense. Just don't know if I'm going to watch it. But what well, I will say is very telling for this show and that it's good. But you know what is more telling about? How bad Moon Knight was because we've been sitting here talking about TV and great finales. <laughs> And guess who didn't come up? The finale of Moon Knight. Well, I, in so, all fairness, I guess that you were kind of like uh, like I was, just womp, womp. Nah, like I, I was getting to it. We were definitely going to bring up some Marvel stuff here. Here's the deal. I'm not going to say I was totally disappointed because at the end of the day, I was entertained by the finale. I'm not going to pretend that it was one of my favorites or ever or anything. I don't think I was as disappointed by the season as you were. But I will kind of go back to something you said a few weeks ago. No season two renewal so far. Oscar Isaac isn't even contracted to appear in any Marvel stuff beyond this one. If this really was just a one-off six-episode thing, what the fuck was the point? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not loving this series again i w i mean you saw moon knight in moon knight for less than 10 minutes of moon knight mm. like, i'm sorry to me that's just not it's a title fucking character you I, see him for 10 minutes doing it like and then like i said and then in the battle at the end there he was the second coolest superhero fighting next to the, the scarlet scarab who I don't understand how that costume came to be when she's the avatar of a hippo. You know, I don't understand how all of a sudden now she's a scarab instead of a hippo. Just doesn't, I don't know. And then even a hippo, I think, like in the like previous to giving her the suit, mentioned something about, oh, I have a really cool suit too, or something like that. When she that was, was funny. To her to... I like I like that scene. That was a funny scene. But what the what does this suit have to do with the, the hippo? I didn't question it at the time, truthfully, because I didn't even know Scarlet. I never even heard of Scarlet Scarab. I heard of that after the episode. I was like reading something online. Villain or some shit. Yeah, you know. And now they're gonna turn into like an anti-hero good guy in Layla. But at the same time, like, what the fuck? Like, where? Like, why? Like, you know? And what? Like, you build up this hippo who isn't even in Marvel Comics to be able to segue into giving this girl her scarlet scarab nonsense, but it has nothing to do with the hippo. Mm. Nothing to do with the hippo. I like the hippo. That was a cool hippo. Um, but I, I will say this. I'm not arguing with you on anything you're saying. I listen, I liked this, the, the conclusion of the story they told with Steven and Mark. And I, the, the fight scene where the two of them are switching back and forth between personas and like, all right, I'll take out now. And it's like working as a tag team. That was really cool to see after the whole season. I'm not, again, I'm not disputing. To me, there was enough cool things in it where I was still entertained and it didn't leave me feeling totally flat. And I thought the little stinger at the end of the credits, I thought that was cool. 
Well, my opinion is why are you bringing him? Why are you bringing him in at the last moment of the series rather than, you know, making this a couple more episodes and like actually finishing a story, especially when you don't know if you're coming back for season two? Like, what was the point of that other than just to kill Ethan Hawke's character? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't understand it. Um, it would almost lead to you having to think there's going to be a season two announced at some point. But what's my motivation to keep watching? Like, that's I mean, where I, I'm at. It's like, well, like, well, well like, I, I'm, I'm kind of over it. You know, country's a dick, and uh, <laughs> Jake Lockley's his new bitch. I don't know what else you want from him. Like, you well, know. I, I, I'll tell you that doing cool shit. I don't want to see any more Conchu and give two shits about him dealing with any more bullshit with his split personalities. I want to see Moon Knight doing some cool Moon Knight shit. That's what I want to see. Mm. Well, I definitely sign up for another fight scene with the two of them switching personas back and forth. But I got to be honest, I feel like I'm in the the Moon Knight and learn how to fly from all of a sudden. He's like, I am the knight, and all of a sudden he fucking flies away. Like, the fuck did he become a fucking all of a sudden a human jetpack? I don't understand that either. Maybe it's just one of the powers. Um, I I do think I'm in the minority where I found enough to keep me entertained. Again, I'm not saying it's one of my favorites, but I didn't hate the show. I didn't dislike the show or anything like that. I think you're kind of in the majority on this one, truthfully, because I've seen I've seen a lot of negative stuff about Moon Knight from like people I follow on Twitter and YouTube and things like that. I, I think you're kind of in the majority on this one, bro. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So did you get to see Dr. Strange two yet? No. Okay. I, I don't really want to say too much about it, but I want you to know, Eric, um, I can't watch a movie or TV show now without kind of hearing your voice in my head in all the different ways I think you're going to shit on something. So um, I watched Doctor Strange. I, I really liked Doctor Strange. I think it's a top 15 MCU movie. I think it's really good. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Um, the cameos but that are in it. Top 15 could still be in the bottom half, though. It's not though. There's 28 movies. There's 28 yeah, movies. So it's 15, not that... 15 would still be in the bottom half. It's somewhere between 11 and 14 to me because I thought about this the other day. So it's so about I... it's about average, is what you're saying. It's, it's be- no, I, I, no, it's better than average because I'm sorry. Even the worst Marvel movie is not a bad movie. Thor: The Dark World is just bland. It's not a bad movie. I don't know how you feel, but in my opinion. The MCU hasn't had one really bad movie yet. They've just had movies that didn't exactly move the needle. It's different than having a bad movie. So you could say a movie is 14 and still think it's a really good movie. You get what I'm saying or you disagree? I agree. All right, good. Good. Um, I will say I think an issue you will run into with this movie the trailers kind of tease a grander scope than what the movie is actually all about. The movie is a smaller scope than what the trailers kind of tease at. And I, I don't, I listen, they were putting spoiler scenes on fucking YouTube 
Wednesday night into Thursday morning. So I'm sure that I'm sure you've been exposed to a lot of spoiler stuff. I'm not going to add to that. What I will say is for the story they were telling, I really liked it. I thought they did a really good job. I've never seen a lot of Sam Raimi. I've never seen any of his horror movies. I never got into Evil Dead or anything like that. But this is definitely probably in terms of imagery and violence. This is one of the most um, has some of the most disturbing imagery you will see in any Marvel movie ever. But it's is very good, and I do recommend you to see it. Okay. Yeah. Have you been spoiled by it yet? Um. Yes and no. Uh, I know some of like the Illuminati members, but I don't know much about that. I mean, I figured the plot wasn't going to be as grand a scope as everybody was throwing out there because mm-hmm. you, you're you got to temper your expectations sometimes. So, mm-hmm. um. But at the same time, I do, you know, don't tell me if I'm right or wrong, but what I'm pretty much expecting is the scope is one to watch the damn kids back. (laughs) And I think, you know, either Strange is going to try to either help her do that or is going to try to stop her from doing that. I don't know which way it goes. I don't know much about it other than that, but I know that she's definitely, it's got something to do with her kids and she wants them back. That's what I think. Yeah, I'm not going to say one way or another on that. I'll give you that. Uh, um, There's one thing I want to say. It's something you kind of already know because obviously you saw Patrick Stewart in the trailers. I got to tell you, (laughs) I'm not going to say exactly why. When they brought him into the movie, they did something that made me jump up and down in my fucking seat like I, I was a 10-year-old. I know what you did. When I heard that in the soundtrack. When I heard that in the score, I started grabbing my mom's arm. I was just like, oh, my God, that's from the animated series. That was awesome. That was awesome. I popped like a fucking 10-year-old. I swear to God. Yeah, I mean, that, that connects the tissue there to that animated universe a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just uh, I don't know what to expect, really. I'm hearing mixed things of some people really liking it, some people not liking it so much. So it's just, you know, yeah. uh, I'm going to go into it with an open mind. And again, I didn't love or necessarily hate the first Doctor Strange movie. I liked it, you know. Mm. Um, and I'm kind of expecting the same out of this one. Not going to love it, not going to hate it, but I'll probably walk out of it liking it. Um, I have heard a lot about the horror aspects, which means I'll yes. probably be seeing it by myself because Janice doesn't do so good with horror stuff. So, listen, it, I, I, the one thing I will say to that is, listen, this is not a rated R movie. I do feel like they push the limits of things you can get away with in PG-13 movies. I don't think it's a movie that, say, a 10-year-old kid should be seeing. But if you're squeamish about horror, I don't think this is a movie to avoid. You know what I'm saying? I got you. No. So, overall, I really liked it, though. I thought it was a really good movie. So, I definitely recommend it. All right. I think with that, do you have anything else you would like to bring up tonight, sir? No, that's all I got for you tonight. All right. Sounds good. Oh, oh, oh. Are you a Stranger Things fan? 
Yes, although I don't know anything really about the new season coming out. I can't wait for it, man. Breaking it up into two parts and everything. I really, it's been a long time. Been a long time since we traveled to the Upside Down, man. I'm looking forward to that. Did you see the Cobra Kai teaser that came out last week? I did not. Yeah, man. It's coming out. I think they said either August or September it's coming out. We don't got to wait until New Year's to see it this time. So, yeah, looking forward to that as well. And you should watch the teaser. It's a pretty good teaser. Pretty good teaser. And I feel like there was another trailer I saw that. I mean, the Thor trailer, I don't know if we talked about that. That was pretty good. I liked that. My mom saw it for the first time because they put it on Doctor Strange. She loved it. And I'm sure you liked it, too. They set in that trailer to Sweet Child of Mine. So that was a really good trailer. Yeah. I think the movie's going to be a really good movie. I think uh, Take Watiti knows what he's doing, and I think it's going to mm. be a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right, man. I think that can do it for us here tonight. Thank you to everybody for listening. Cousin David in the group chat. Eric Pfeiffer joining us earlier. Everybody listening to us on the podcasting outlets, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Anchor, Bullhorn. Shout out to Dave Hastings. Couldn't make it tonight. I'm sure he'll be back with us next week. Let's do a little final thoughts here. Eric Tressler. Uh, Always fun. Till next time, stay sweaty. Stay sweaty, my friend. Yes. And I am Mike Agliolaro. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. We will see y'all next week.